Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. My spacious spare bedroom. Actually, not much bigger than the average closet. It is Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hope you've had a great day. Appreciate you checking out the show. Oh, my goodness, between 7.30 and 8 tonight, one of the all-time greats on the Edmonton sports scene, heck, on the Canadian sports scene, kick returner extraordinaire Henry the Gizmo Williams as we continue Green and Gold Grey Cup Week here on Inside Sports. Of course, no game to be played this Sunday would have been in Regina. Instead, Hamilton will get the game next year. Regina will get it in 22, but we have the Giz lined up for you between 7.30 and 8 tonight. Tomorrow, Darius Bowman and Kenny Stafford will look back to the team's most recent championship back in 2015 remember Darius Bowman with some big catches in that one the double E fell behind early and then Bowman helped spark a big comeback and actually sealed the deal on a running play late in the fourth quarter and Kenny Stafford don't forget his big part in that game urging Chris Jones to throw the the challenge flag for pass interference which helped keep the eventual game winning drive alive but those guys are tomorrow the Giz is coming up tonight uh, I haven't had him on the show Oh, heck, for probably uh, at least three years, I want to say, off the top of my head. It's been it's been far too long. So happy to talk to the Giz tonight. I'm also happy to talk to you. If you would like to reach out, feel free to do so. The number to call and text is the same one, 780-496-0063. You can fire me an email, insidesports at 630ched.com. And... You can get me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And just for fun, I posted a poll on Twitter this afternoon, completely unscientific and just for laughs and just four plays I could think of because the double E have played in a lot of great cups. They've made a lot of big plays along the way. But I said, which of these is your favorite Edmonton great cup play? And there were... Well, two of them that that I thought were obviously on the list and then some other moments I had to debate, but I thought, well, what's really going to stand out the most that if you only had to show one highlight from a championship game, which play would you show? So here are the ones uh, I came up with. Well, first of all, we'll get to the audio of of this candidate, this one from 1987. They'll try to get him the ball. A lot of people might give up a point or let the ball bounce around. Knows that when you have to kick, a lot of offensive teams have a tendency to relax. They better not relax after they kick this ball if it's wide. This attempt from the right hash marks. And he again missed it to the right. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. He may not need the block. Henry Gizmo Williams with Melissa chasing him, scores! 
the only way not to kick a field goal to him is to make the field goal. And Lance Comic has missed two, and the second miss really hurt. That is the 1987 Great Cup game, and the man we're going to have on the show later tonight, the Giz, with the return of the missed field goal in the first quarter. Now, that don't forget, that game came right down to a field goal by Jerry Corrick to win it for the green and gold, though I thought the one play that fans are going to remember are the was the incredible run back by the Giz. So that one is on my poll, and it's currently in the lead, and that doesn't surprise me. It has slightly over uh, half the number of votes right now. Uh, so I, I think that one will win. Uh, and by the way, that that play-by-play there, that who remembers the Canadian Football Network? For a couple of years, the league had to start its own network to broadcast games, and that was the, the one and only Dave Hodge doing the play-by-play, one of the all-time great broadcasters in Canada. So he had the call there. It was in BC Place in Vancouver. So anyway, uh, which of these is your favorite Edmonton Grey Cup play? The Giz on the missed field goal return in 1987. From 1981, you got to have a play from the five in a row. So I, I put Cutler's game-winning field goal right at the end of the game in 1981. Would have been a lot of great plays to get to that point, but that was the one that actually put the double E over the top for the big victory. By the way, I love Brian Kelly on the show last night talking about that game, and that was the closest one they had of their five in a row from 78 to 82. And they were massive favorites, having gone 14-1-1 in the regular season against 5-11 and Ottawa, which then won two playoff games to get into the Grey Cup. And uh, I, I asked Brian Kelly, what was it like at halftime? Who, who sort of took the lead with giving a speech or saying something to coaches, the players? And Brian said, well, it was really the players. The coaches didn't have a lot of motivational speeches for being down 19 when you were favored by 30. <laughs> I thought, thought that was, I thought that was pretty good. So the 81 Cutler game-winning field goal from 2005, I have the third and four Ray Tamuki Mitchell to keep a drive alive. They would eventually get a touchdown and a two-point convert. Though don't forget, Montreal would come back to tie it. And then the double E had to win in overtime on a field goal by Sean Fleming. But that oh, oh, that third and four in uh, 2005, if they don't get that, they probably lose the game. So I put that one on there. Now, the other one, I've, I've seen it. I didn't see it live, though you can watch it on YouTube. And I, I, I did have a couple people suggest to me, why would you put that on the list? No one is going to vote for it because no one's seen it. And I thought to myself, well, that really shouldn't be the uh, the criteria for whether or not something is one of a, a franchise's all-time top plays in a championship game. If all the video of Sidney Crosby's golden goal from 2010 was suddenly wiped off the face of the earth, would we no longer acknowledge it as one of Canada's greatest Canadian hockey moments? Of course we would. But there is video of this, though I realize it was a long time ago before many of you were born. But I had to put on there Jackie Parker's 90-yard fumble return in the 1954 Grey Cup. And look, this this might be the play that really should win. I think it's going to finish fourth in the voting. But let's consider the circumstances here. Montreal is leading the game. And no, again, I didn't watch. I've read about the game and, you know, know a little bit about it. Montreal is leading the game. And they're down to the Edmonton 10-yard line with about three minutes left. So they're looking for at least a field goal. 
to make it a two-score game and probably put it away. And Montreal fumbles the ball, and which is still considered controversial because was it was Chuck Hunsinger trying to perform a forward pass on the play? Jackie Parker picks it up, doesn't just pick it up, goes 90 yards for a touchdown, turning out to be the winning points. I, I would think if that happened in this day and age, it would be replayed constantly on every single top 10 list as one of the most dramatic plays in football history. And I'm not saying it doesn't get replayed, uh, but I think because it has been a while since it happened, that that perhaps it doesn't get the acknowledgement. But but think about it. I mean, this is similar to the big Toronto return against Calgary from a couple of years ago when Calgary's driving to put it away and fumble and, and it get runs back. It is of that magnitude. Uh, and, and Edmonton won the game 26-25. And Jackie Parker, obviously one of the all-time greats, to uh, to ever wear the double E. I guess they didn't have double E on their helmet back in, in 1954. So th- anyway, those are the four I put on. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On there, uh, you're welcome to vote on Twitter if you're so inclined. But, um, or if you just want to text me in. Well, I got to hand it to uh, Section O. I should have, maybe Section O, maybe I should have put this one on there. However, it was not a game that the E won. So I, I tended, I obviously leaned towards games that the doubly won because those experiences are going to be more fondly remembered by the fans. But he said downtown Eddie Brown in 1996 in the snow in Hamilton against Toronto, the catch where he bobbles it and then gets it off his shoe top and runs in for the touchdown. Yeah, that's, that was a pretty good one. Um, and maybe if they'd won that game, it would be more fondly remembered. Or maybe if they'd won that game, one of the biggest plays would be stuffing Doug Flutie on a quarterback sneak on third and one, which they did, by the way. But unfortunately, the referee didn't see it that way. So anyway, uh, that, if you want to vote on Twitter, you can. It's just for fun. If you want to text me or call in, you can. It's just for fun. Sharing some memories as, uh, unfortunately, we don't have a real game being played this Sunday. 780-496-0063. We're going to call a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Don't forget the Giz coming up at 7.30. Rob Brown's going to bounce on the show at 6.30. Always good to talk a little hockey and who knows what else with him. This texter says, oh, I like this one. I remember listening to the 1954 Green and Gold Grey Cup in Winnipeg on the radio as a kid. We did not have a TV yet. Well, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people were in that situation. Absolutely. I, 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 I mean, there's... Um, I, I believe, and this is just from what I read today, 
using Wikipedia and a couple other sources, which you, you can't always, you got to be careful with what you trust, but I think there's enough on this game. It, it sounds like the game was played on November 27th and then broadcast on well, maybe not. Maybe that's not true. It, it says this trivia about the game. A film of the game was the first program broadcast on CFQC television in Saskatoon when it first went on the air on December 5th. So about a week after the game, CFQC, which is the CTV station in Saskatoon, broadcast a, a game that was about a week old. So, um, oh yeah, here it, it says it was on CBC, but uh, only in... CBC Toronto. So yeah, things were, things were a little different. <laughs> things were just a little different. Uh, Al says, I saw the Parker fumble recovery on television. I'd already given up on that game. Pretty fantastic trivia for you. What was Parker's nickname? One of the best nicknames ever was Jackie Parker's nickname, not spaghetti legs, Al. Uh, I'm pretty sure I got that in the archive somewhere. Now see, Al's trying to catch me here because I'm, uh, I definitely was not around for that era. Al, you clearly were, but I th- did not, or was it old spaghetti legs? But I, th- I, I think it was either spaghetti legs or old spaghetti legs. So there you go. Um, Cowtown Bob says, uh, I was thrilled to hear Gizmo going to be on the show tonight. Henry Williams style of play was extremely entertaining, but his story of coming from rough beginnings to being a star in the CFL is truly inspiring. He's also a great humanitarian. He, uh, also uh, looked great in his bright orange CBC sports jacket. <laughs> That's right. I think he wore that in the post-game interview. He says, regarding your poll, I love the gizmo return in 87. But I was in BC place to see Ricky Ray throw that amazing pass to Mookie. That play and the subsequent plays in regulation and overtime caused many people to visit their cardiologist afterwards. That was a tense game. Double G says, hi, Reed. How about the game where the fellow was running for a touchdown and tripped by a person on the sidelines? This was back in the 50s. Double G, you're going to have to help me. Um, the, the story sounds somewhat familiar. I don't have it at the top of my brain. So somebody, somebody listening might have to, or, or if you can tell me. I, I don't know if it was in an Edmonton game or another one. I, I remember something about that. You're, you're gonna, somebody will help me. But uh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Uh, Randall says, can you please address the story about the Oilers defaulting on their hotel bill in Dallas? Calgary fans are having a field day with this one. What actually happened? And Randall also says, I voted for the, uh, for Giza's run back. Well, I can tell you that the, uh, the Oilers have said that, uh, they're, they're going to square up the bill and they've blamed it on, uh, an accounting glitch and a little bit of miscommunication. I I don't think they're trying to get out of a bill. I think they know they got to stay in hotels. Uh, You may have seen the story, the Crescent Court Hotel in Dallas suing the Oilers for about $55,000 worth of unpaid bills. Uh, I believe Tichkowski with Post Media was the first one to report this. Uh, 28 grand for the December stay, 27,000 for its game in March, right before the season shut down through the pandemic. The team did put out a statement. basically saying that they're, they're going to pay the bill and they should have it resolved in the next couple of days. So that, that Randall, that's about all I can tell you. Uh, I'm sure it'll be uh, ironed out. And I mean, I think if an NHL team, whether it's the Oilers or not, realizes that they owe a little money or something went wrong, they're, they're going to clear it up. So anyway, thank you for asking, but I, I just think that that's, uh, I, I can't see how that wouldn't be relatively quickly resolved before it gets any further. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. All right, we had Solomon Elamimian on the show last night, the president of the CFL Players Association, and I asked him, 
Would the CFLPA be open to playing a shorter season, fewer than 18 games? Uh, definitely, 100%. Um, the PA was open to that scenario. Actually, we had a deal uh, that was a done deal um, this last summer when um, the PA and the league successfully negotiated, amended uh, 2020 Hub City. Uh, that was successful. Um, it was um, a scenario that would have our players work, and it was a safe environment uh, in the Hub City in Winnipeg. But unfortunately, um, you know, the league chose not to go that route, and you know, we just want to make sure that what happened in 2020 doesn't happen in 21. All right. And I also asked Ella Mimian, what about going into a bubble? They were ready to do it for a six-game season plus the playoffs this fall. Would they do a longer season in a hub city or a bubble in 2021? Yeah, that is something that, you know, speaking to our players and obviously last time around we had surveys where we were surveying our players and asking them different things. And one of those was, would they be open to, you know, playing in a bubble? And those came back overwhelming yes. So, you know, I'm here to tell you, you know, as long as 21 season, our players will make the sacrifice that's needed, you know, whether it's, you know, not being as comfortable being in a hotel for, you know, um, a shortened season. I'm sure that's not, that's not easy. But, you know, that's a sacrifice our players would be willing to make if it meant getting back on the football field and, you know, providing, uh, bringing revenue to provide for the families. And you heard Randy Ambrosi say it yesterday. They want to put out a schedule pretty soon. It's usually in December when the CFL schedule comes out, so they want to get that out. I think they would have some scenarios in case they do have to shorten the season or make adjustments on the fly. But they are planning. They are planning to be back in 2021, and I think we'd all would would love to see it. Of course, the NHL, uh, you know, from everything I'm seeing this week, continuing discussions we were talking a few days ago, maybe later this week, we'd start to, to get more information leaking out. We just got to wait and see. But I, I get the sense with the NHL, once uh, once something happens, we're going to start getting the news hot and heavy. All right, Rob Brown, when we get back, Inside Sports on Chet. Well, see, that's the thing. The uh, Rob Brown scores a goal, and, and the commentators don't even get excited, and they they kind of make it sound like it was a bad goal. As uh, we bring Rob Brown onto the show. <laughs> Oh, okay. We just lost Rob. We got we got we to get him back. Uh, dug a goal out of the archive there from uh, from Rob Brown's career. So <laughs> it was uh, it was per, it was perhaps not the uh, most um, athletic effort to uh, save it by the goaltender. But uh, back from Rob's playoff career in 2002, playing for the Calder Cup, well, on the way to the Calder Cup with the Chicago Wolves, and uh, you can just you, there there was a goal that uh, that Rob Brown scored for Mario that came up on YouTube. Rob, I don't know how well you could you could hear that. Could you catch any of that audio on that goal? No, I didn't hear any of it. Sorry. Uh, I'll give you a hint. The goaltender was J.F. Labe. Does that ring a bell? 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. No. <laughs> I don't even know what that team was, that guy played for. That, okay, so that goal was in Game 7 of uh, your series back when you played for the Chicago Wolves. Okay. And uh, Western Conference Final. And uh, you took a wrist shot from between the top of the circles and it hit Labe and flipped up over his head and went in. And that put you guys up 4-1 on the way to a 6-2 win in, in game seven. Does that help at all? Um, no, I don't know. What team did we beat that day? Was it Syracuse? <laughs> that, was, that was the Syracuse crutch. Yeah. Okay. They, they won the first two games of the series. You guys won the next three. They, they got it in game six, so then you guys won game seven. So I, I, I was looking up your goals on YouTube, but I was like, well, here's one from a seventh game. And the, we, we, we had a bit of a glitch there with that audio, but basically after the, the goal was scored, the commentators give you no credit for the shot. It was all labe. It was a deflating goal. So in radio, I'm just going to tell people, uh, perfect shot under the crossbar, probably 120 miles per hour, unstoppable by any goaltender in any league. Well, the fact that I don't remember it probably means those announcers were right when they called it. <laughs> I do remember that series, though. I, that was the year that we won the championship, and I think we faced elimination five or six times over the course of the, the playoffs. And again, Game 7 was one of those nights. Yeah, that was a great year. I know you have fond memories of uh, of winning that championship and just playing in, in, in Chicago in general. When, when you scored a goal in your illustrious pro career, and you scored many of them, and you knew it was one the goalie should have had, you knew that it's like, okay, that that's, you know, I'm happy to score, but that's probably more a bad goal on the goaltender. Did that affect the way you celebrated, or was it just more the score and situation in the game that affected how you celebrated? Uh, I, I think a bit of both. I think uh, a moment in the game that is more important than others, the celebration is bigger. Um, you know when you score a goal or when your team scores a goal how important that goal is or how unimportant it is. So when it was a big goal, uh, the celebration was bigger. Uh, and when you knew it was a special goal. Uh, and, I mean, you can go through all the great goal scorers in, in, that have ever played. When you watch them score, when Ovechkin scores a goal, there's a difference in his celebration if it was a, a highlight real goal, if it was just a, a normal goal, or Gretzky, or Lemieux, or Bossy, or Lafleur. So players know when they did something special, and they also know when they got away with one. And usually when a player scores a goal that probably shouldn't have gone in, you'll get a smile, a smirk, maybe a shrug of the shoulders, and a wink. But the celebration ain't as big because you don't think that you deserve the big celebration. Well, and that one put you guys up up four one, like I said, on the on the way to a six two win. I'm sure if it was an overtime, you don't care. Obviously, you're you're jumping around <laughs> and you're like, thanks, buddy. You just well, you just let us win win the game. But uh, yeah, I, I was trying to. There was uh, man, there was there's a highlight. People can just put in Rob Brown goals on YouTube, and there's and again, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to record it because it was like really old VHS audio. It was Bob Cole. Um, 
doing a play-by-play of you scoring for Pittsburgh against Toronto during your big year when you played with the Mew. And even that on even that on YouTube, the description of the goal is like, Rob Brown doesn't even have to do anything. Mario just hits his stick. And I'm like, somebody <laughs> give Rob credit for something. Um, well, that's one thing when you play with great uh the the accolades or the appreciation isn't as big because everyone wants to talk about the great and when Connor mcdavid sets someone up with a, a an incredible backdoor play or something along that line you probably were marveling at something that Connor did that was pretty big before that uh having said that you'll never see a a single player uh get down on himself or, or not or not celebrate the fact that whether it's a, a one-foot goal or a hundred-foot goal, they all seem to count the same. And sometimes, uh, it, sometimes when you score a goal, it's not the fact that you had a wide-open net back door. It's the fact you put yourself in that position. You read the play properly. You knew where you were supposed to be. And I, I can tell you, for with with uh, with certainty, there is wide-open back open nets that I've missed in my day too. So. Every time they went in, whether it was easy or hard, you, you knew that it counted because there's times that they didn't bounce the right way. Well, I mean, you have that great saying, right? It, it hurts to score goals in the NHL because it often comes with, with some sort of punishment the closer to the net you get. But And look, we, we know in hockey there are bounces, the puck's bouncing around, but still, the, the players who consistently seem like they're getting bounces it's usually not luck they're usually getting getting in the right spot i mean yeah i mean yamamoto was a great example last year little guy but uh you know he, he found he knows where he has to get to on the ice and that got him points playing with those other two stars oh well, exactly and that's why only certain players can play with certain players um i i've known a lot of great players that they tried to with another great player and it didn't work out as well because they just didn't read the game the same way you've got to be able to read the game of the player that makes the plays in your line so for Leon Drysdale, you would think that oh, okay Leon Drysdale has got to make everybody better that he plays with but if he's playing with guys that are, aren't are incapable of reading where they should be or getting in the position that they should be in or putting their stick or body in the right uh, lane for them to, to to be able to receive the pass well it doesn't matter how good Leon is that player's not smart enough to play with him. And I think that's something that we saw in the past with a, uh, a Pugliarvi that wasn't able at that time in his career to play with a Connor or a Leon because he didn't understand the game well enough. Whereas we saw Yamamoto last year, um, his God-given talent might not be as high as other players, but his brain and the way he sees the game allows him to be in the right spot at the right time all the time. And all players that are good goal scorers, you see around the net all the time. They're not perimeter players. They go to the, the, the dirty areas. They hang out there. They don't always stand there, but they'll slide through to them. They'll get out and open, and then they'll come back through again. In the NHL, the goalies are so good nowadays. You've got to be somewhere near the net to score goals. And the guys that score goals, you, whenever you watch video after a goal, they're always in that same area. And they just hang out there in the puck, and the bounces go for them because if they're consistently in that spot. Eventually, their bounces will come to them. Rob, you're going to love this text I just got from the Big L, who is a listener who often makes me chuckle with his messages. He says, Reed, Rob was obviously a prolific goal scorer, very impressive. Myself, I'm a streaky goal scorer. I got two in 2008, 
one in 2011, <laughs> a controversial <laughs> one in 2014. The Big L goes on to add, I've improved since. I now count my goals during warm-up, sometimes before the goalie <laughs> arrives. <laughs> oh, hey, they all count, right? They all count. So when you go home and if he goes home and tells his wife how many goals you scored, I scored nine. She doesn't know that six of them were in warm-up before the goalie got in two or between periods. She doesn't know that. So as long as he can put the puck in the net, he can say that he scored goals. Yeah, uh, I, I wonder if there's a certain sort of uh, uh, refreshment involved uh, during the intermissions when the Big L is playing as well. There, there might be. Hey, uh, Rob, I, I want to jump on this. Uh, this. This is just coming out here in the last 10 or 15 minutes, so uh, I, I think you and I should chat about it a little bit. It, it is news from the NBA. I'm just looking on Eric Kareen's Twitter account who covers the Raptors for The Athletic. And they are announcing that the first half of the NBA schedule will, will be released in early December. And then they're going to announce the second half of the schedule in late February, or early March. And they're also going to have a play-in tournament. So instead of having eight teams in each conference make the playoffs, they're going to allow 10 in each and have a little play-ins, seven against 10 and eight against nine. Now, Bettman has said he doesn't want to expand the playoffs again, but I do think that's notable about the schedule because you and I have talked about it before. I think that's highly possible whenever the NHL puts out their schedule. It's probably not going to be for all 56 or 48 games. I, I think they might kind of do maybe the first couple months and then say, okay, let's, let's wait and see what we do after that. Well, I think anybody that's nowadays trying to book a schedule for anything, whether it's a school event, a hockey event, gymnastics, whatever it is, they know that they've had to redo their schedules almost weekly over the last few months because they'll have a plan in place and something happens in the COVID world that changes that. So for the NBA or the NHL to set out a, a 70 or 80 game or 60, whatever it is, schedule and set out one, you, you know that the chance of them having to change that and restart it is, is almost at 100%. So get your first one. Okay, this is what we want to get through. And while we're getting through this, we're going to continue to monitor what's happening in the world, what's happening in the, the political world, what's happening with COVID. We're going to see when we might get fans in, how we might move games here or there. So it makes sense. And that they can have a better idea when it gets to the back half of the schedule what you're going to be uh, dealing with. Are you going to be dealing with uh, more away games, traveling Canada to the States, playing more games in, in, at home ranks instead of having the three in a row or whatever they're going to do, and whether or not they're going to have fans. And I think that uh, both the NBA and eventually the NHL are going to be very uh, cognizant of that when they start to make their decisions on schedule. So it only makes sense, and I'm sure you're going to see the exact same thing when the NHL comes out. Yeah, I'm just, you know, usually the we see the, the NHL look to, I'm not saying copy the, the NBA, but I think that, um, you know, the NBA being a, a, the, the larger league south of the border for sure in terms of the, the money and the attention that it gets, that they'll look a little bit to what the NBA is doing. I'm just kind of scanning through here. And one um, of the things also, read with the NBA, the NBA and the NHL are very similar with the amount of games they play, the time of year they play. A lot of the cities are very similar. So it, it makes sense that if one is doing one thing, that the other league would do something quite uh, the same because they actually have more or less the same uh, cities and countries and all of that in place that it, it makes sense they would have almost the exact same type of schedule. 
You know what, Rob? I'm gonna be. You, and people are gonna laugh here. I, I'm I'm trying to read the NBA press release, and it's really small on my screen, and I'm having trouble <laughs> seeing it. And yes, I already have bifocals, but the the play-in tournament is going to give. Um, so that basically, the the seventh and eighth place teams will have an advantage over the ninth and tenth place teams. So, um, what's going to happen here? Seven will play eight and the winner gets the seventh seed. Nine will play ten. Um, that doesn't make sense. The, the, the nine will play ten. The loser's out. The winner plays the loser eight of the seven-eight game for the eighth seed. Huh. So it's I, like, uh, so if that, you, you get you, you get an extra life if you're the seven or eight seed going in. Okay, that, that's weird because I've played, well, the year that you were just talking about, that goal that I scored against Labe, that we had uh, uh, the same scenario. We had a seven, ten, eight, nine type seed going in the playoffs. The seven played ten, eight played nine, and that's how you got the last two teams to the playoffs. So I, uh, that is weird uh, and, and creative by the NBA doing that to give the the seven eight the a bit of an advantage yeah. for being seventh or eighth. You know, we're going to be you, know, you all season long. You were a little bit better than this team. We're adding an extra playoff game, but now we're giving you two cracks at it to get in. So to me, that makes sense. And I think that's more than fair for the number seven, eight seeds. Yeah, it gives them, they can they can lose a game and still get it. I think it's kind of similar to that page playoff format in curling where one plays two, three plays four, and then they'll play down from there. Rob Brown joining us tonight on uh, Inside Sports. So anyway, breaking news there about the NBA along the way, though it doesn't sound like the NBA, the NHL would expand the playoffs. Bedman has said he wants to keep it at, at 16 teams after this year. What are you thinking about a Canadian division? It could be pretty wild. The, the only common thing I see when people make a prediction, and I've been asked, the, the only common thing is that Ottawa, is seventh i have seen <laughs> I, i've seen toronto edmonton calgary vancouver predicted to finish first you, you know it, i think it'd be pretty it'd be pretty tight except for probably ottawa being on the bottom I, I agree i think that if you're a fan of the game if you're a fan of the oilers the excitement is getting to see the, the canadians and the leaks uh you know the jets playing all these teams more and more i think that's great I think that's fantastic. It's these are the games you want to see. I mean, when you and I have been to doing this for a number of years, there's always a little bit more excitement in the arena, in the city, in the lead up when it's one of the Canadian teams coming to play against the others. So that's awesome. Uh, from a, a strictly watching the games, way better than having to watch what division they were in last year, where you're playing against you know Phoenix and Anaheim and San Jose. The bad part of this is. This is a much tougher division than if the Oilers had. Because you're, you're, you're losing San Jose, who's not going to be strong. And you're losing the Kings, not going to be strong. You're losing the Anaheim Ducks, not going to be strong. Arizona, I, I think they went all in last year. And then because with the Hall trade, and I think they're going to be taking a drop back as well. So I think it just made it tougher for the Oilers to make the playoffs. And I'm not saying they won't. I just think it's going to be a much more competitive division than it would have been which on the other side of it could make much more competitive games throughout the year to watch so yeah i'm excited i think this is uh, in in a horrible 2020 where so many bad things have happened with this covid and everything that's gone on in the world uh if there's any little bright light for hockey fans it's the fact that we're going to get a canadian division out of this 
Rob, I appreciate you checking in tonight. Uh, we, we saved a bunch of topics for next time because we wound up having that NBA news to talk about. So we'll get you on in the near future, man. Hope everybody's doing well in your world. We are. I hope everything's good with you and hopefully talk to you soon. That is Rob Brown checking in tonight, our analyst here for Oilers broadcasts. When we have games on 6.30, Chet, we had some in the summer, and Rob checked in for those. So that so there's the NBA. Uh, they'll, they'll release some of the schedule, and then in season they'll release the rest of it, and they are going to expand the playoffs to have play-ins for uh, teams who finish 7th through 10th in each conference, but the 7th and 8th seeds will have a bit of an advantage going. the Hart Trophy winner. Speaking of Edmonton greats, Gizmo! 7.30 tonight, part of Green and Gold Grey Cup Week. We'll also tell you what the spirit of Edmonton is up to this week. Would have been the Grey Cup Sunday in Regina. We've had a lot of chatter today and yesterday about what's going on for a 2021 season. By the way, you want to get more of my interview with Solomon Elamimian, the president of the CFL Players Association. You can go to 630ched.com Global News .ca. Yeah, talking about and and I think that that's the one thing I feel really certain about when it comes to the next NHL season. I, I'm not sure when it's going to start. Do they continue to to shoot for January first? I'm not sure how many games there are going to be, though. 56 seems a likely number if they go for January first. I'm not sure how they're going to play the games. They'll either be modified hub cities or they will play baseball style series where a team might go to another city and play three games in four days as opposed to playing one and then moving on. But I feel pretty certain there will be a Canadian division, at, at least to start the season. Now, would it be the top four out of seven to get in? Would it be the top three? And then they still might have wild cards, but it would be crazy competitive. I, I think the vibe in, in the country and among the fans would be second to none in terms of a regular season. All the rivalries would get ramped up to another level and not a lot to separate. And in, 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 a, in a shortened season, too, don't forget, you, you got to get off to a fast start. I mean, you start 2-5-1 and one over 82 games, not great, but you got 70, uh, 72 games left to make it up, 74 games left to make it up. You start 2-5-1 and one in 56 games, you only got 45, uh, 48 games left to make up those points. And don't forget, the Oilers had a great start last season and and that was a big reason they were able to cement the playoff spot seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three i'm happy to hear from you check out my great cup poll on twitter at reed wilkins and we will uh talk to the the emperor of the sluice juice the chairman of the spirit of edmonton jerry haraxi when we get back six thirty chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on six thirty chad